You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everyone. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And this is Language Nerds to Earth. We're on episode number 40 today. Mm-hmm. I love those clean numbers. Yeah, the big milestone numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Very exciting. So we are, our podcast is officially middle-aged, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, 40 is the new 30, so it's okay. Cool. Uh, Uh, today we're talking about whistling languages. Yeah, which is a really exciting topic. Actually, I was talking to Rachel. We were like, what are we going to do this week? And I said, we could do whistling languages, or we could do languages that have have sounds that are outside of the vocal tract. And Rachel was like, let's focus this time on <laughs> just whistling languages. And I was like, okay. But it turns out there's a lot of variety in whistling languages. So I'm really glad we focused this yeah. week. And for those of you who are like, what the hell are whistling languages? You'll find out. Oh, yeah. You're going to find out for sure. <laughs> So we're going to start out with some facts about whistling languages. And for the majority of the episode, we're just going to focus on some fascinating examples from around the world. Mm-hmm. It is really crazy. No lost in translation moment this week, but we do have some really kind of fiery language news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <gasps> so this is actually an opinion piece from the New York Times about the use of computer coding as a foreign language. And let's just say that the author was not in favor of it. Yeah, apparently recently, Maryland's legislature has been considering a bill to allow computer coding courses to fulfill the foreign language graduation requirement for high school. A similar bill was almost passed in Florida a few years ago, There's been a federal version proposed in Congress. And and so let's kind of look at it, what he says, and then we can give our opinions. Yeah. The person who wrote this opinion piece, his name is William Eggington. He's a professor of the humanities. And he basically argues that foreign languages are human opportunities for interaction. He brings up the point, actually, that small group in-person instruction is more effective than traditional lectures. Mm-hmm. And when and we ask questions, we learn more and we learn faster. And that's the way it is with language courses as well. Online courses with small groups have completion rates of 85% sometimes. And then massive online open courses have lower completion rates as low as 5%. And if you want to go back a few episodes, we talked about learning a language as an adult, and we kind of talked a little bit about how, about why programs like Duolingo and um, Babbel, they're great as supplemental things, but you really need a human to guide you through the process of language learning. Totally. And he also mentions that when you're reading a computer code, you're only 
using a certain amount of information or you're only trying mm -hmm. to convey a certain amount of information. But when you are communicating with a human through language, you're able to express emotions and beliefs and different perspectives on the world and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more than just conveying data. Yeah, I totally agree with him. I mean, I'm kind of biased. <laughs> But you hit the nail on the head with that last point, especially when you are communicating in a language, you're communicating love, you're communicating hate, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and everything in between. And, and it's human to human. So you're not only are you communicating it, but you're also getting feedback. Yeah, that's so true, too. And he says that he knows where they're coming from, that they're trying to provide kids maybe with a useful skill for the future but I do agree with him that that's not a replacement for language mm -hmm. maybe it could be still added to the curriculum but yeah I don't think that it should replace language no I agree and the other thing is that every language has a culture that yeah. it grew up in you know there is one language that doesn't have a culture and the name of that language is Esperanto which was created to facilitate communication among people who have different languages. But it didn't work. Yeah. Nobody took it on. Some people did, but despite massive efforts to get people to pick it up, it just had no traction because it doesn't have a, an interesting background and culture to connect stuff to it, basically. Yeah. It came out in, like, the early 70s, I think, and... Since then, I think other people have tried to create these artificial languages, but I think anyway, it's going to be biased towards probably one of the languages that the creator speaks. Mm -hmm. So it will still exclude some people. It's not going to put everyone on a level playing field. And its only use is to get across data, but there's nothing, there's no literature, there's no culture as you said yeah devil's advocate might say that uh, computer code does have its own culture it's like the people who develop it but it's still not a spoken language it's a written language right That's it's true. just a series of letters numbers and symbols and it doesn't have like a, a common population behind it that i think most languages do no definitely not mm -hmm. So I think that one reason that kids are supposed to learn a language is to learn about a culture that's outside of their own. Yeah. And they can't really do that with coding. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> that's it. That's totally it. Like the importance of learning a language is not just about being able to communicate in that language. It's also about having empathy for people who are not necessarily in your in-group. Mm -hmm. And I think language, this is something we've talked about before too, about how language crosses boundaries and barriers and it really humanizes people once you can speak their language or they can speak your language. But computer coding does not cross any barriers like that. No, you can't really say that. It does. <laughs> So, yeah, those are our opinions. 
I can see where there might be cracks because we are not computer coders. So sure. if anybody out there has opinions that differ from ours, or if you strongly agree with our opinions or moderately agree with our opinions, <laughs> feel free to send us a little email. <laughs> yeah. Just tell us what you think about the topic mm-hmm. because yeah, that's how we communicate. So if you have any opinions that you'd like to share, you can go to languagenerdsdoearth.com and under the podcast tab, that's where all of our episodes are listed. So this will be episode number 40 on whistled languages. So you can click on whistled languages and scroll to the bottom and give us a comment. Yeah. Or you can directly send us an email at languagenerdsdoearth at gmail.com. Yeah. Cool. So... Let's move on to our main topic, which is whistling languages. Yes. So, Patrice, what is a whistling language? Well, Rachel, a whistling language is a language that is communicated through whistles. Different kinds of whistles. People will use a lot of techniques for the whistles. Okay. They might be bilabial whistles which is just two lips that's like the kind that most people use probably right right when they're whistling a song or something exactly which i can kind of do (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes wait what was i whistling if that's dixie i want to redo it i just whistled our theme song (laughs) that's very good whistling what song was it do you know i don't know Frozen! I mean, it was... What's the song? Let it go. go. (laughs) Nice. Frozen's not a song. (laughs) I bet there's somebody out there who made Frozen into a song. (laughs) Don't put it past them. Anyway. So, bilabial. That's the bilabial. (laughs) Bilabial. There's also labial dental, which is teeth pressed against your lips. Oh, that would be a... Like the... Two-fingered whistle, but without the fingers? I think people like... Yeah. See, I, can, I can't I can do anything but bilabial. And then mm-hmm. um, there's also one finger or two fingers in the mouth, keeping the teeth a certain distance apart, and that's a louder version of whistling. And then some people use, like, their whole hand cupped around their mouth. Cupped around their mouth. <laughs> and that creates some sort of echo and special feature yeah but let's back up a little bit the whistled languages are usually a whistled version of the spoken language of that community exactly right so they don't usually exist just on their own like there is a verbal version of it right i mean what people can do a lot of times is speak and switch in between Mm -hmm. depending on the situation or maybe just because they feel like it but for the most part these languages have evolved in areas where there's some kind of isolation either due to distance or to noise levels Mm -hmm. or maybe lighting situations so also people will develop the languages around specific activities for example, social, particular social activities, there are some whistling languages revolving around dating or courtship. Mm-hmm. There's also shepherding and hunting and fishing. And also shamanism is one 
but I didn't find a lot about that. But to me, it makes a lot of sense that in those circumstances, they would create a way to whistle to communicate because it's so much easier for the sound to carry. Exactly. So if you're a shepherd or you live in a really rural area that is mountainous, then you can easily communicate across distance before phones. (laughs) <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, I mean, in, in some places that we're going to look at today, there's not even a lot of cell phone coverage. And so whistling is mm-hmm. still really useful. And in most of these places that we're going to talk about, it's very mountainous. And that's actually really conducive to the whistling because the whistles just like echo around the mountains, which is really amazing. It also is much less strain on the vocal cords than shouting. It carries further than shouting, and it's much less strain on the vocal cords. Yeah. It's so crazy. And it's hard to understand shouted speech because you lose the vowels or you lose the consonants, and then you just really can't understand what it is. You can just hear that it's loud. Right. There are so many whistling languages. Do you know how many there are? I had no idea. (laughs) I had no idea. Before, Before this, I would have guessed, like, five or six tops, and I was like, we're going to cover all of them. Me too. There are at least 53. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) So interesting. I had heard of the one that's from the Canary Islands, because that's in Spain, and people talk about it sometimes, but the rest, I can safely say that I had not heard of. Yeah, no, me neither. I had no idea. There are 12 in Mexico alone. There are at least 15 in Western Africa and about eight in New Guinea. There are a few in Europe. Wow. It's, it's really unbelievable. So, yeah, you would think that whistled speech is limited compared to spoken speech, but actually there's a potentially unlimited number of messages that can be communicated in whistled speech. Yeah. Especially if the speech that the whistling is based off of is tonal is that like chinese is tonal Mm -hmm. or like mandarin is tonal yeah yeah because if you change the tone the inflection we could say maybe Mm -hmm. it changes the meaning exactly yeah so in chinese for example there are five tones there's if we take the syllable ma there's ma 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 and ma so Chinese only has five tones. Cantonese has eight tones. Actually, over half of the world's languages are tonal. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very, very common, especially... Well, I don't think any Western European-based languages are tonal, but a lot of them around the world are. So it's really interesting. But tonal languages, if the whistling language is based on a tonal language... That's really helpful for the whistled message because they convey a lot of information through pitch when spoken. Right. And so you can have extensive conversations through whistling. So interesting. Yeah, in languages that have few tones, the whistled messages are usually stereotyped or standardized expressions, and they often have to be repeated. But languages Mm -hmm. with heavily tonal sounds convey a lot more information when they're whistled (laughs) that's so interesting so sometimes they can also be used as secret languages 
so sometimes it has been used to warn of the approach of the police during warfare or things like that. Yeah, so whistling languages usually aren't used as a secret language per se, but they have been used that way in some cases. Yeah, I would imagine especially during war because there might be a lot of outsiders also at that point. Right. And you don't want the enemy understanding. So this is like a cool little secret language. Yeah, and honestly, like any language can be whistled. So when I was listening to an NPR report on one of the languages we're going to talk about today, one of the women started speaking English. She was like, you can whistle English. It just it's not doesn't sound as good as the language that I speak. And it's not as easy to understand because it has a lot of consonants and they kind of get lost. But And it's also not a tonal language. Mm. But yeah, like any language can be whistled. And that kind of blew my mind. Yeah, totally. But yeah, so let's get into it. I wanted to find some audio of this, and if we find any audio, then we'll definitely put it into the show where we can, but there aren't very many examples, unfortunately, on the World Wide Web. So, we have just a few that we wanted to look at in more detail. Mm-hmm. So, the first is Sochiapam Chinatech. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is in the village of Sochiapam San Pedro in Mexico. And it's produced only by men, but everybody understands it. Interesting. So it's very highly valued in the culture to the point that even men can be fined if they can't whistle well enough to perform certain jobs in the town. Mm -hmm. And they use it even in everyday speech when they could use regular speech. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. There are seven tones, and there's past and future tense, and it can be understood at distances of up to one kilometer away. It can be transmitted even further, especially when the wind carries it. It goes through the Sierra Madre mountain range. So again, there we have an example of whistles bouncing off of mountains. So crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they have different ways of whistling for different distances. Yeah. So exactly. Either the tongue against the alveolar ridge, uh, which is called sie, mm-hmm. or bilabial, which is hui, something like that, mm-hmm. and finger in the mouth whistling. So that's duo. Yeah. There's also a kind of loud falsetto, which, if you aren't familiar with this term, it's being able to create something in like a higher pitch like an octave or two above what it normally would be which is crazy that they can do that in in whistle. whistling but apparently it's like so a louder cool. form yeah because <laughs> whistling is already really high pitched amazing yeah so it's common in agricultural communities so that makes sense because there's agricultural mm-hmm. communities obviously take up a lot of space it's been on the decline though because there's been a decline in the agricultural community. The main export was coffee, and until 1990, coffee was the third greatest source of foreign exchange in Mexico after oil and cars. But climate change and leaf rust and international fall in coffee prices have lowered its output. Yeah. Also, there's just a lack of education and interest. So the community is kind of trying to figure out, like, 
how do we preserve this important part of our culture? Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's not based on Spanish. It's based on the Mazatec languages. And where is it exactly in Mexico? I believe it's in Oaxaca. So Oaxaca is the West Coast, kind of in the South, right? That's right. Just to kind of place it on the map. if. Yeah, no, I think that's important. It's like, maybe we should have said that at the beginning. Whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that's Xochipam Chinantec. So like Rachel was saying, it's very valued in the culture. That's really cool. Yeah. To even have institutionalized rules about it. Yeah. Just shows you how deep it goes, you know. And I mean, it's thousands of years old. That's amazing. I mean, most of these are very, very old traditions. Even the one in the Canary Islands has been around since the 1600s, but it comes from Africans who came there at the time. Right. Exactly. So let's look at another one. So this next one is Sviria. It's S-F-Y-R-I-A. Sviria. And it's a whistling language on the Greek island of Antia. Yeah. So if we think about Greece, mountainous, Mm -hmm. island community, probably agricultural community. Yeah. So it's basically a whistled version of spoken Greek. And the letters and syllables correspond to distinct tones and frequencies. Yeah. So the messages can travel up to four kilometers across open valleys in Antia. It's about ten times further than shouting. My God. Yeah. That's really amazing. Actually, it's very sad. There are only between 6 and 18 speakers left wow of this language the guy in the report was saying you know until the telephone came to the island in 1965 it was the main form of communication wow hashtag original twitter because most conversations took place in short bursts <laughs> but the use of the language is dwindling quickly because the only speakers left are really old And they're losing their teeth, and it makes whistling a lot harder. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or they get fake teeth, and it's, yeah, it's much different. So experts do believe that it goes back to the times of ancient Greece, Mm -hmm. maybe even that it was created by Persians about 2,500 years ago, after they were defeated in the Battle of Salamis. Mm -hmm. So the survivors washed up on the shores of Ivia, and might have whistled to each other to avoid detection by the Greeks. Yeah. So there's another example of it being a bit of a secret language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. There's another theory that in ancient Athens, they would post whistles, whistlers from Antia on mountaintops as sentries, so they could signal an attack on the empire. But one of the speakers said, you know, if you don't use it on a regular basis, your mouth and your jaw become numb. So if you do it more often, it's easier. And it's kind of like exercise. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. There's a little clip of it. So we'll play that now. This was really funny. It's useful for shepherds and herders. So they had, like, an example conversation in this video that I watched. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe we could roleplay a little bit. Okay. Awesome. I love it. Okay, so I'll be one whistler. Pretend we're whistling. 
And I'll be the first voice and you'd be the second voice the first okay. time. And then we can reverse in the second conversation. Okay, so conversation number one between a man and his mother. I'm the man, you're the mother. Did you feed the pig? Yes. Did the sheep come back? Yes, they are inside. I'm going to leave in a bit. Okay, go. And go to Caristo. <laughs> he wasn't finished with this sentence and she interrupted him. <sighs> okay, conversation number two between these other women that I saw. Will you go and water the plants? Yes, I will. Up here? Yes. What will you water? The cabbages. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's like the least eventful conversation ever, but I thought it was really good. Least eventful, but super useful. And imagine if you had to walk all the way to have that conversation with somebody. Yeah, totally. You would waste yeah. so much time back in the day. Right, totally. And it would be like, I had to come all the way up here to tell you that I'm going to water the cabbages. <laughs> I left the water down. I have to go back and get the water now. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. It's very, very useful. Yeah, super practical. So these villagers are actually looking for somebody to fund lessons for Greek children. Oh. So if anybody out there is looking to fund whistling lessons for children in Antia, there's your opportunity. Cool. So let's take a look at another. In Turkey, this is called the bird language. So I don't know how to pronounce these things, but <laughs> kushtili. So that is the name in Turkish, but it translates as bird language, which makes sense. It sounds kind of like little birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> does that make you think about like what birds are really saying to each other? Ooh, it does not, but now it does. <laughs> <laughs> kind of random, but anyway. It does totally sound like birds. They might be having the same kind of conversations, like, did you feed the kids? Yes, I did. Did you feed them the worms I gave you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, Kushtili has a lot of publicity, because every year the locals have a festival to celebrate their whistled speech. And there's whistling demonstrations and competitions. It's usually mostly just the locals who, who make it. But yeah, it's in a lot of international news for that purpose. But that also shows how much importance they give to it, that they yeah. want to celebrate every year. And it is a really special and unique thing. I think that not too many relatively languages have is a whistling language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So this is a dialect of Turkish that is whistled. Mm, so it's different from the actual spoken Turkish? Yeah, or from the, I guess, standardized Turkish. So that's interesting. It's in Turkey's Black Sea Mountains. So there you go. Yeah, more, more mountains. Isolated areas that are more likely to have a dialect, too. And it's been added to UNESCO's Intangible Cultural Heritage List. That's cool. That's interesting. Pretty much the majority of articles you find about these languages, it's like, this language is dying, it's under threat. Yeah, I know, but give me more information. Yeah. So let's move on to Silbo, 
which is a really, really famous one. It's the one that a lot of people have heard of. Mm-hmm. It's in the Canary Islands. So where are the Canary Islands? The Canary Islands are islands that belong to Spain that are just north of Morocco. Yeah, so they're off the coast of northern, northwestern Africa. Mm-hmm. And so the name of the language is Silbo, but it's based off of Spanish. So it's a whistled version of Spanish. Right. And it was adapted in the 1600s by settlers from northern Africa who had their own whistling languages. And it's actually one of the best studied whistled languages. So the majority of information on whistled languages that you'll find is based off of Silbo. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I read something about, so it was a Berber whistling language of Berber settlers. Uh So they thought that it might have originated in Morocco. So I think then they started studying Mor- the Moroccan mountains for other Berber whistling languages. That's so interesting. Yeah. Berber. I've never heard of it. It's like a culture that... So in Morocco, they have the Arabs, the Berbers, and... Mm. But basically, it's like an unwritten language, and they have a very different culture than the Arab culture. And they live in the mountains, and they're like the shepherd people, I think. Oh, well, there you go. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Super relevant. And unlike the majority of these languages, the government has actually stepped in and invested in this language. The Spanish government has decided, we're going to help Silbo continue on. So on this island, La Gomera, where the language is spoken, it's not essential for communication, but it's still used to announce news of weddings and funerals and other community happenings. And all primary school children are required to learn it in school. That's very interesting. I think that's really cool of the Spanish government. Yeah. And they can create 4,000 sounds? Yeah. How is that even possible? And how could you even distinguish 4,000 sounds to understand them? Yeah, well, apparently there are two to four vowels and four to ten consonants. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they get those ranges. But, yeah, I think it's all about intonation and pitch, right? Right. And I think people also put consonants into it, like, that was like me whistling the word what. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you can put a little T in there, for example. Hmm. There are really cute videos on YouTube of little kids learning Silbo in the Canary Islands. <laughs> and they, they've got, like, their fingers in their mouth and the teacher's coming over to them to, like, help position their hand correctly. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess the name comes from the Spanish word for whistle, which is silbar. Oh, totally. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, that's the... That's Silbo from the Canary Islands. So, so far we've talked about the one in Mexico, Mm -hmm. the one in Antia in Greece, the one in Turkey, the one in the Canary Islands, and now we're going to go up to Alaska. There wasn't a lot of information on this one. It's called the Yupik language. Mm -hmm. Um, It's spoken on St. Lawrence Island in Alaska. The Yupik language is actually a group of languages. It's common to Alaska and Siberia. There are a few varieties of this language, but they're not really mutually intelligible. But we're talking about the Central Siberian Yupik, I think. Okay. In this case, 
It's the same. The language is a whistled version of the spoken language. And this is where the woman, she's Alaskan, so she's fluent in English. It's a native tongue of hers. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, you know, I can whistle English. It's just not, it doesn't work as well because there are so many consonants. Uh. But I'm not sure if her language was tonal. It's a really, really interesting language. And she used whistling to find her grandfather in a crowded Walmart. So yeah. it does have uses in the modern day. Yeah. Calling across mountain ranges, calling out in Walmart. Walmart is scary when there are too many people. and Yeah, dude. It's really, really big. And actually, she said to him, you know, go to the car. We'll meet you there. <laughs> I often call people in Walmart. Yeah. Like, where did you go? Okay, finally, we have Kickapoo. Apparently, Kickapoo is a city in Texas. Okay, never heard of it. Yeah, this language is spoken in Texas and Mexico. Okay, so this is apparently the only whistling language that is used for courtship exclusively. Yeah, there was another one in Nepal that's sometimes used for courtship, but this one seemed to be very particular. It was actually developed in 1915. So originally in this culture, people used flutes to court each other, and each flute had its own distinct sound. So young men used something called the lover's flute. He would go out into the hills or climb a tree and serenade his sweetheart, and she would join him. And so each flute had its own distinctive tone, and each flutist had its own melodies, and then in 1915, they were like, you know what? We're done with these flutes. <laughs> we're going to just start whistling instead. <laughs> it's a really cute story. Yeah, it is. So this is a Native American tribe, right? Mm-hmm. So it happens at night, right? Yeah, anywhere between dusk and midnight. So this kind of reminds me, actually, of uh, the Spanish tradition. The men would go to their sweetheart's house and stand below and serenade her in the evening apparently that was like mm -hmm. a thing that happened all over the city and that's how they courted partially at least oh that's so cute so this is really cute though it says the messages in the whistling language used for courtship consisted mostly of phrases like i'm thinking of you or come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of sweet do you think there were, like, a lot of people whistling to their sweethearts at the same time? Ooh, kind of like birds mating. Yeah, like, how would you understand which one was meant for you? Mm. You'd have to recognize the whistle. You'd have to. Well, that's the that's the idea. People develop their own... I guess it's like a voice, right? I guess so, yeah. I'm going to be honest. I actually really hate whistling. I hate it when people are whistling. <laughs> it's, like, a really annoying thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I would make a terrible member of one of these tribes. <laughs> you waited till the very end to say this. I actually, I totally forgot. I got so engrossed in how exciting the episode is. I meant to say it at the beginning, <laughs> but I actually really hate whistling. <laughs> I love to whistle. It's very fun to me. No, I am. Um, what I was getting at is like everybody might have their own distinct sound when they whistle, just kind of like vocal cords, maybe. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't pass through your vocal cords. So to me, it sounds the same. It sounds atrocious. <laughs> <laughs>
It's also interesting how they produce the sound in this language. Yeah. So they cup their hands together to form a chamber, and then they blow into the chamber with their lips placed against the knuckles of their thumbs. Which, have you ever done this? Let's see if I can do it today. I have no idea. (laughs) You can do it! I'm in awe. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) Look at you go! That's so cool! (laughs) It's cool though, right? It sounds like kind of a train whistle and a bird. It's amazing. I'm totally going to start using that in class when my students are too loud. (laughs) It's a lot less work on my vocal cords. Definitely. So, can you whistle? We'd love to hear it. Yeah, send us your favorite song in a whistled form or try to say a sentence of your choosing and we will try to understand it. (gasps) A code. (laughs) Send us a code. (laughs) Let's see if we can crack it. Yes. Stump us. (laughs) Yeah, language of your choosing. So any language, try and stump us. That will be very easy. To stump us, I mean. <laughs> but if you send them to us, we will try to figure out what they mean and say it on the next episode. So, or whatever episode we're on, because I think a lot of times people go back and download the episodes, That's true. and then they're probably like, I can't comment on this because it was like 20 episodes ago. But don't worry. We got you. Yeah. We'll be here. We will do it when they come. So if you want to hear us make fools of ourselves, then (laughs) send us your best riddle in whistle form. Yeah. (laughs) My God. Yeah, please. I look forward to it. Uh, send us your Lost in Translation moments. We're waiting to hear from you so we can continue the segment. You can send them to earth at gmail.com in written form or in voice memo form. Or you can go to our website, which is languagenerdstoearth.com, no www, and go to the contact slash lit section, which is Lost in Translation, not lit. And you can either send us a written Lost in Translation moment there or record your voice on our little voice recorder, which is just the click of a button. It's super convenient. Also, subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend that you think might enjoy it and help them subscribe. Yeah, if you think we're funny, your friends probably will too. (laughs) Follow us on social media, mostly Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're also on YouTube and Pinterest uh, sometimes. And leave us a review on iTunes. Make sure you go go to iTunes and click that little little star button, even if it's not a review. Uh, you don't have to write a written review. You can just give us give us five stars, five stars only, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only ones that iTunes accepts. It's weird. <laughs> it's true. Please don't test out this tried and true fact. It's already been established. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great week, and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Yeah, bye. Bye.